And now, Fastened Like Nails with Dr. Mark Hamby. Welcome to Fasten Like Nails, and today with me again in the studio, Miss Molly Mayo. Welcome, Molly. Good morning. How are you doing? Molly, if I was doing any better, I'd be in heaven. Um, and I, <laughs> I think the, the reason why is because I just love God's Word. His Word mm. is a, truly a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, which makes me think of the book we're about to publish. Oh, I'm so excited. It's definitely my new favorite. Seriously? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is, I, it is not only my new favorite, but I think I'm going to place it above every book we've ever published. Yeah, it is Tip Lewis or Tip Lewis and His Lamp. Yeah, and I think we're going to go with Tip Lewis and His Lamp. It's so sweet, um, yeah. Well, I think more than sweet, I for me, I think it gives every step of the Christian faith that whether you're a teenager or a child or someone older, I think it gives all of the ingredients of how to grow in your Christian walk in faith. Mm. I think it covers every area. Molly, if I was a new believer, this book would help me exponentially, I think, in my Christian walk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can't wait Can't wait to publish it. I think it's going to be out in about four weeks. Oh, exciting. So, Just in yeah, time they're for in the, Christmas. They're in the design stage right now of the cover. Mm. And where do you see the cover? It's so beautiful. Oh, so. yay. And, and we just finished— Another one that came out just last week called Come What May. Mm. And bef- before I let I read Tip Lewis, that was my all-time favorite for this past year. <laughs> did, did you get a chance to read that one? Oh, yeah. Um, we, um, we were actually doing a bunch of edits on that one uh, together. And it was, it was really cool. I think it's cool that God has been bringing uh, some of these stories about biblical manhood. It was interesting because it was like one after the other, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> We're like, whoa, God, this is kind of cool. Oh, and so, interesting. Yep, there's that one and then Tip Lewis and Drawn Together Under Fire. We've had a bunch of great titles just this year for that. And so what I love about this one, uh, Come What May, is that one of our newest hires, Spencer, actually edited this, and then he was so inspired by it that he ended up doing a whole blog on it for Character in Crisis, which is on our website. Mm. If you type in there, uh, Character in Crisis, or look up Come What May, you can read his review on it. But that was really inspiring that it's it's changing our lives as a staff. Molly, explain Character in Crisis. Uh, maybe the, the folks that are listening, maybe for the first time, have never heard about Character in Crisis. So before we get into John chapters 9 and 10, mm-hmm. explain what Character in Crisis is, how they can find it, and how they can use it in their family devotions. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is something that— <laughs> It's it's really funny how we first started because this is something that you were talking about long before you know we got here. You said like forty years this idea idea has been kind of ruminating and around, mm-hmm. and so when um, we were talking about the idea just a little bit ago, like I want to say four to six months ago, it took a lot of prayer and (laughs) hard work to figure out what this platform was going to look like because our passion was to get something out there that could show readers our content, but also the heart behind the content. And one of the things that we've done with our audio dramas is pulled out all these little snippets about, you know, different character traits. So our stories aren't just, they're not good stories, although that's a part of it. It's 
it's more than that. They have like faith and courage and salvation and all these different themes. So what we've done is we've taken out little snippets and extracted them that go along with each character trait, and then we unpack them in Character in Crisis. So this works really well if you're doing it as a family devotion or if just personally you want to go deeper with the books and and see different uh, character traits displayed in them, then you can either subscribe to the email or we have a whole section on our website, that's lamplighter.net at the very bottom, Character in Crisis. My favorite audio drama of all time is on there, Sir Malcolm. We did a whole series on that, which was so much fun that I think was one of my favorite projects this year. And then just recently, we had the idea to do staff favorites. So that focuses on our books. And so what we've asked each of the staff to do is kind of pick their favorite book and tell readers why it's their favorite book and how it's changed them. And um, that has been so special to see. Like uh, one of one of my coworkers, Emily, she wrote this story about Sir Knight of the Splendid Way. And one of the stories in there influenced her in a really hard time in her life. I remember reading her write-up and just crying. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, this is so powerful. And to hear how it's connecting with different people, come what may with Spencer, just as a young man, seeing how uh, he was really relating to a, a section that we had edited um, to show biblical manhood in this in this one family, this one home, uh, was just so so incredible. So, um, yeah, that's character in crisis, and we're really excited to move forward with that uh, this year. So, Molly, you had said something to me the other day that um, I want really people to hear because I think it it will make a difference in the way that they parent, in the way that they read books themselves. So when you first came here to Lamplighter, <clears throat> you didn't really enjoy the books all that much or the audio dramas except no. for Sir Malcolm. Yeah. So now you love the books and you love the stories mm-hmm. and you know you're you're part of the editing team and you're putting these things out because you not only believe in them but you you've taken ownership of them mm-hmm. as part of who you who you are. How did that change? How did you begin to love this type of story because there are parents out there that have called me and said, "Hey, look at you know, you they either love these books, mm-hmm. you know, the kids can't get enough of them, the whole family loves them, or the kids just don't like them at all. Mm-hmm. So what made that transition for you? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Um, yeah, I did not care for the books a whole lot when I first came. I think I just had found them boring or maybe just didn't connect with the stories within. And so it, when I first came here— I came because I I fell in love with the Bible and I wanted more of the biblical teaching. And so coming here and learning that and then kind of seeing the values that the ministry has lived and displayed in the staff was incredible. And so I was like, whoa, there's something to what they're saying. And then learning alongside of Peter in the bindery and Sarah in marketing and you in the classroom, I was, I was learning all these different things. And so when I read a book, you know, we, I think we had some on the reading list. I I would read it. And then it was starting to connect with different things that I was studying either in class or on a personal level. And so then I started finding value in that where even just recently I read uh, The Little Preacher and it just filled me with this warm sense of, whoa, I, I want to love Jesus like that. And I could feel my heart just like being pulled towards that theme. I saw it and it was true and it was beautiful. And I really don't think that I had the character as a child to appreciate the books because I was always more like, a, I want a character-driven plot. I want to have a good, you know, um, 
I want to have a good storyline. I want to be entertained and excited. And and the books weren't doing that for me because it had a lot of Bible in it. I'm like, I just don't care for that. And so it wasn't really until I found the value of literature and something that you and I have talked a lot about, just because we argue a lot <laughs> about literature and, and all of that. Um, sometimes it's a matter of not what's good, but what's what's best. And sometimes mm. um, Dr. Lou said once, good is often the enemy of great. And so I'll never forget what you said one time, we have like this little life to live and what we do, it matters, you know? And so why waste it on, you know, just a, a good story and that was fun. And then two hours later, like you walk away and nothing lingers with you. And then after reading some of these stories and at first, like maybe not appreciating certain things, but then it would linger with me. And I'm like, ah, oh, wow, I'm not, I'm not living that out. I'm, I don't have courage in this area or I'm not loving this person selflessly, like this character. And that is what has lasted. And that's why I've really come to appreciate and enjoy the books. Mm. Yeah, I think the same for me as a young man, when I first got came to know the Lord as my Savior, mm. um, the first book I read was the Bible. And, <laughs> you know, and from there, every time I would read something that would complement itself with the scriptures, you know, you know, a story with great biblical truth in it, that was what was inspiring me and, and wanting me to read more or a biography of someone's life that was living for Christ in a very unique way that you don't see every day. You know, and so I'll never forget this. As I was telling people, this is the best book I've ever read in my life. I'll never forget the pastor's wife coming up to me and she goes, she looked at me and she goes, I'm sorry to, to disappoint you. She goes, but not everyone is going to love reading these books like you do. And I said, well, Why? And I was a young baby Christian at the time, and she goes, she goes, because not everybody thinks about the things of God all the time. She goes, is you're being transformed through the renewing of your mind, thinking on the things of God, you know, think on things that are just and lovely and good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on th- these thoughts, is, is our mind starts to be changed by the things of God, and you start becoming in tune with what's important in eternity rather than what's important on the earth, all of a sudden— the things you read, you start to gain more of a taste for the things above, and you lose the taste for things below. And I think that's what—it doesn't happen overnight with some people, but as you, as you exercise, you know, the mind is a muscle to be exercised. Faith is a muscle to be exercised. As we exercise it, we begin to gain a love and appreciation for the things that were once once upon a time were distasteful, and it changes the way we think. Okay, without any further delay, let's get right into John chapter 9 and 10. Dun, dun, we, dun. We, we ended in John chapter 9 with the man that was born blind, and the kind of humorous story of um, after he's healed, what, which is interesting, think about this, J- Jesus you know, comes upon this person, spits on the ground, and, you know, puts the salve on his eyes and says to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Um, what's interesting about that is that Jesus doesn't accompany him, neither do the disciples, and the man's got to go find the pool and wash. And when he does, he's healed instantly. And then there's this commotion as to how this man began to see. And they, the leaders— are upset because the miracle was on the Sabbath day. So they can't see the miracle because they're blinded by their legalism. And legalism always blinds. 
Um, both legalism and liberalism blind people. Liberalism, because they're, they're blinded by their freedom to do what they want, and they lose the sacredness of the holy life. And legalism blinds them because they want to not only restrict themselves thinking that they're holy, but they want to restrict others. And so they keep their eyes on other people, making sure that they live under the same condemnation that they're under. Mm. Um, and so— they make a big scene here, and they bring the parents, and they're going to put them out of the synagogue, et cetera, et cetera, until finally the blind man who now can see, you know, I, I think it's humorous. He says to them after they ask a second time, um, how did this miracle take place? And he says to them, a miraculous thing has taken place. A wonderful thing has taken place, and all you think about is how this happened, mm-hmm. but you're failing to see that I— who was blind, can now see. And this has never happened in any historical record of the human race. No one is that was born blind has ever been able to see. But all they see is he broke the Sabbath. And as a result, the blind man who now can see says, um, is it because you're, is you, are you asking me this because you want to be one of his disciples? And boy, they get irate after that and they start arguing with him and then they put him out of the synagogue. And so, Molly, as we left off last time, we talked about when you're put out of the synagogue, you're, you're in deep trouble. Um, you, you're, you're losing all social contact. You're losing all economic contact. Um, you don't have a place to work. You, people will shun you. And so you're, you're out. And um, this man who just experienced the greatest miracle of his life is now experiencing the greatest hurt. And as a result, as he's put out of the synagogue, picture him outside. He's outside, probably wondering, like, what do I do now? Where do I go now? How do I support myself? You know, he can't beg anymore like he was because he can see now, right? You know, before when he was blind, at least he had work to do. He could beg. But now he's got to figure out how he's going to support himself. You know, I remember um, I was in Portland, Oregon one time, and there was a a beggar. He was very young, probably in his young 20s. And I remember seeing him picking out cigarette butts out of an ashtray and then trying to smoke them. And he came up to me and asked me for some money. Um, And I I told him, I said, well, listen, I'm, I'm not going to give you money. I said, but if you're hungry, I'll feed you. And um, he didn't want food. He just wanted money, probably to support his cigarette habit or drinking. And But Molly, 12 hours later, I came back on the train, stopped at the same stop, and there he was still begging for money. 12 hours. He was there at 7 o'clock in the morning, and now he's there still at 7 o'clock at night. And I looked at him and I said, and his name was Michael. Um, I said, Michael, I said, you have worked 12 hours begging for money. He goes, I said, don't you realize? And before I could say, don't you realize what you, how much money you could have made if you were working? He stopped me in my mid-sentence and he says, wow, you're the first person that's ever appreciated my craft. <laughs> I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> I know, but you see how blind he was? Mm-hmm. You know, begging, thinking that's all that he could do. But well, if he had been it sounds more... like the story that we've talked about here before about the man who was by the pool and uh, he was just kind of there for Excuse how many years, like 40 years. 
38 years, yeah. giving excuses. Yeah, no one can put me in the water. Someone steps in in front of me. Mm-hmm. And so we, we get we get blinded by our handicaps. Well, I think, think we can embrace them and make them a part of us too and not be willing to let that go. I yeah, mean, oh, yeah, yeah. That that happened to me, actually. I, I was actually um, disabled, um, oh, about 20, 25 years ago, I think it was. Um, I had... Uh, Taking some medication from a doctor in Washington, D.C., a doctor I was seeing, he had warned me, too, that this could have some complications, and the, medis- med- the medication did have complications, and it, um, it played havoc in my um, central nervous system and in such a way that, Molly, I couldn't speak. I couldn't—my my muscles were contorted. I couldn't—I I just couldn't function. And that went on for two years. And during that time, I'll never forget it, I had an um, insurance policy for disability, and it kicked in. It only gave me $500 a month. But boy, did I count on that $500 a month. And uh, I'll never forget, after two years, I was not any better after two years. Um, I'll never forget the insurance agent came to visit me to see how I was doing. And he looked at me and he said, we're going to discontinue your coverage. Um, we believe that you there's nothing keeping you from working. I couldn't speak properly. I couldn't walk properly. I couldn't think properly. My mind was all garbled during this time. And I, I looked at him with like pleading, like, please don't do this. You can't take this away from me. And um, he goes, no. He goes, um, we we believe that you can be working. There's really nothing wrong with you. I'm like, well, you wouldn't say that if you were in my body and were thinking like I thought. You wouldn't say this. And Molly, he got up and walked away. And I said, sir, please don't do this. I begged him. And uh, I'll never forget my wife, Debbie. You know, she hugged me and she goes, well, we'll get through this, you know. And that was the best thing that's ever happened to me Um I lost my coverage, and it forced me to start working again. I had become so complacent in my injury because of my injury that the the five hundred dollars a month of coverage was enough to make me feel like it took the place of any effort that I needed to 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 make, and so. It didn't force me to get out there and do what I needed to do. And I, I think there's probably a lot of people like me that have been in a situation like that where we get we get comfortable in our, you know, we something's that's safety is provided for us and we we lose the um the momentum. We we lose the tenacity and perseverance of trying to overcome our disabilities. And um yeah, we get comfortable. I think there's a there's a song about that. Don't get comfortable. Yeah, Brandon um, Heath. Yeah, and uh, and that's so true. As a result of me getting like pushed out of my comfort zone, um, I started to do the hard thing again, and my brain started to think again. My body started to react again, and within the next two years, um, I was functioning, and within three years, I was speaking again. And uh, praise God that uh, he knows what we need when we need it. And so this man, this man is being pushed out of his comfort zone. He's been cast out of the synagogue. And at the very end of chapter 9, 
Jesus hears about it and comes to find him. And this is what we have at the very end of John chapter 9. Jesus hears that he's been cast out. And when he finds him, he says to him, do you believe on the Son of God? Now, get this. He hasn't seen Jesus yet. He only heard his voice up to this point, and he obeyed him. He, he has a little bit of faith, but not saving faith. He believed that Jesus could perform a miracle in his life, and he did. And we got to be really careful. When we're asking God for miracles and we receive them, it's not enough to just enjoy the miracle. What God is really looking for is total surrender to him. And Jesus asks him after the miracle and after he's been cast out, do you believe on the Son of God? Do you believe wholeheartedly? Will you give your entire, will you entrust yourself to me entirely? Why? He's just been cast out. He has nowhere to go, nowhere to, to take care, no one to take care of him and no way to support himself. And Jesus is asking him, will you believe me? Believe in me enough to take care of you and support you and carry you through. And the man says, I love this. Lord, who is he that I might believe on him? And Jesus said, you have both seen him. And we talked about this last time. This Greek phrase in imperfect tense is something that has happened already in the past and continues in the present, meaning This man has already seen Jesus when he was blind. How? He heard his word and obeyed it. That's seeing Jesus. Um, In the book of 3 John, John brings this up again. If you are doing evil, you have not seen God. We see God when we're obeying his commandments. And Jesus said unto him, you have both seen him, and it is he that talks with you. Molly, would you have loved to have been at that moment, if you had been born born blind, and the man that's talking to you at that moment, and you say, who is he? And he says, it is he who talks to you. How would you have felt at that moment? Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's, a terrible, that's a terrible question. Don't no, I don't, I don't think it's a terrible it, question. It makes me think of last week when, or or a couple weeks ago, when we were studying John 10 and we had read the opening section and it's talking about a certain character and I can't get into it because I think we'll talk about it either in this episode or the next. Um, But as I was reading and studying, you're like, who is it? Who is this person? Who is it? And I'm like, tell me. And you're like, I'll tell you next time when we do devotions. (laughs) And I was like, oh, this is frustrating. I want to know. So as I was studying, I was like, oh, like, I was like, God, please let it be this person. And I'm like praying and trying to search it out. I'm like, let it be this, let it be this, let it be this. And I was really hoping, but I didn't quite know. And so I feel almost like that energy is here in this interaction between Jesus and the blind man where he's like, do you believe? And he's like, who is the Lord that I might believe on him? But probably in his heart and soul, the way I imagine it, which I know this is conjecture, but like he he probably knows. Like this man healed mm-hmm. him and he's been gone. And here he is, like you said, at this crazy pivotal moment in his life where he doesn't have anywhere to go. There's Jesus standing before him. And does he dare to hope that the man before him is who he has been seeking mm-hmm. for? And then he says, it is me. And then I think he's just like, whoa, like, Lord, I, I believe. and Because everything yeah. he knew has just been like climaxed. And then I love and, that next section. And he, and he worshiped him. Yeah. And not only does he believe, he worships him, which is the true evidence of faith. You know, mm-hmm. it's one thing to receive a miracle. And, and everyone that's listening right now, you know, God sometimes will answer our prayers for the miracle that we're asking for, a redeemed marriage, for the healing of a child, healing of our own life, whatever it is. 
But what God's really looking for when he gives us those miracles, he's looking for us to trust him even if we don't receive the miracle, even if things were to get worse. God wants us to trust him because when we're in his hand, no one can ever pluck us out of his hand. We are safe and secure in Jesus. Maybe bad things will happen in this lifetime, but we're secure for all eternity. And that's what Jesus is trying to convey to this young man. Yes, you were blind. And now you can see. Yes, you had a home to go to and you had an occupation, but now you've lost everything. Will you believe in me and trust me enough to take care of you? And that's what brings us to the ending of this. And Jesus says, I am, I am come for judgment that they which see might not see. Um, and they which see might be made blind. He's talking about the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And some of the Pharisees who heard these words said unto him, Are we blind also? They knew he was jabbing at them. And Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now we say, but now you say, we see, therefore, your sin remains inside of you. Now, that's the end of John chapter 9, which brings us right into John chapter 10. Let's look at this as seamless, okay? End of John chapter 9 ends with, If you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains in you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as the thief and a robber. Now, most commentaries that you would read would say that there is a disconnect between chapter 9, end of chapter 9, and beginning of chapter 10. They're not related whatsoever. Now, I don't think the Bible's written that way. I believe God has written his word seamlessly. And so, the question is, what does... Jesus rebuked to the Pharisees of them being blind and can't see and their sin remains in them. What does that have to do, if this is seamless, with this next verse? Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Pharisees, he that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Now, I would say that what Jesus is doing here is saying to the Pharisees, because they just asked the question, are we blind also? And what he's saying to them is, yes, you are blind because you're trying to climb up into the kingdom of God some other way. This man who was born blind but now can see has come through the actual door by believing in the Son of God. The Pharisees are trying to get through to the kingdom through their legalistic rituals. And Jesus says this in verse 2 of chapter 10. But he that enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Molly, that doesn't make sense. Do you Why? see that? No. Okay. So, Molly, if have you entered into the door? Uh, metaphorically, or in, have I entered into a sheepfold? Spir- spiritually, have you entered into the door of the kingdom of God, the God's family? Have you entered into that door? I see what you're saying. Um, yes, but that would be to say that that is the equivalent to me being the shepherd of the sheep is not accurate in context. So, so it says, though, he that enters in by the door 
is the shepherd of the sheep. <laughs> but we have to zoom back a little bit and and see kind of the context of the previous section where you have all the Pharisees and they're leading people by their false theology. You were talking about legalism and liberalism. So then here in John 10, 1, you have the people who are climbing in and saying, there's a this way, there's this way. And then they're going in, mm-hmm. making up their own minds. And then in two, you've got, but then the one who enters in by the door is the shepherd. And they're completely clueless as to what he's talking about. But I think okay, I me, think it's talking about that concept. So Molly, um, verse two, it's very controversial. Um, most commentaries um, see the sheep entering in as the door becoming the shepherd. Mm. But um, we're going to read this uh, in its context, and I think it's going to be very clear. Verse two says, but he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so that's not the sheep entering in by the door. It's the shepherd but he that enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And so the shepherd is the last one in. He places the sheep inside a protective barrier, and that he himself enters at the end, and he becomes the door himself. That's um, excellent. Yeah, that verse really, 7. That really goes along with um, the story of the blind man with the Pharisees who were, you know, leading people with their legalism. And, you know, you even talked about the contrast with people who lead with their liberal ideas. But then um, the way Jesus addresses that is very brilliant here. Oh, think of it this way. The man has just been cast out of the synagogue. He has nowhere to go. He's lost Mm -hmm. everything. He's got no economic support. He's got no social support. He's got nothing, no religious support. He's been cast Mm -hmm. out of the synagogue, which one of the worst things that could have happened to an Israelite. Mm. And so here he is meeting Jesus for the first time visibly. He's mm-hmm. already heard his voice and obeyed it. But now Jesus says to him, do you believe in the Son of God? Chapter 9. Mm-hmm. Lord, who is he that I can believe in him? It's I who speak to you. You've already seen me once, meaning mm-hmm. that he heard his voice because believing is seeing. I love that. And now I love this. He's talking about this man that has been cast out and has nothing. He says to him, He that enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. He's saying to the man, picture this, he's rebuking the Pharisees as thieves and robbers, trying Mm -hmm. to get up some other way. He then, he's appealing to the man saying, if you're in my fold, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to take care of you. And and even take it one step further, I love the section that says, and Jesus seeks him out when when he's at his lowest point, which is totally reminiscent of his story of the shepherd going and leaving the 99 to find the one. So that's another shepherd metaphor, which is beautiful. Yeah. The end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10 are seamless. I remember we had a pastor Mm -hmm. here the other day. He was on a tour. And if you've never never been on a tour at Lamplighter, um, people are coming from all over the United States. We've had people from Texas, Georgia, California, Wisconsin, um, all through the East Coast, Ohio, Illinois, Kansas. I mean, it's really something. <laughs> Molly, it's amazing that all these people are coming to tour Lamplighter, and we love having them here. That's but a lot one of, fun. of the things, yeah, it really is. Now, why did I just tell you that? Uh, a pastor who was here oh, the other yeah, day. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A pastor came the other day from a tour, and uh, I, I had just studied this passage, and uh, I said, I got something that I just found, and I shared it with him, and I shared John chapter 9, and then I go into John chapter 10, mm-hmm. and I said, most people think there's a disconnect between John chapter 9 and John chapter 10. It has no no, uh, no connection to the to what's been said. And he said, are you telling me that they're connected? And I said, seamless. He goes, 
The guy just got put out of the synagogue, and Jesus is the shepherd of the new sheep that's entered into the fold. <laughs> and, and you should have seen him smile. He goes, that's preaching material. So I'm so excited. To... Okay, so next verse. To him, talk about confusion. To him, the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, mm-hmm. and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, who's the porter, and who, whose voice is this? Is this the porter's voice, or is mm-hmm. this the shepherd's voice? Yeah, interesting. Uh, Michael Card, actually, and you're going to think this is interesting, but his take on the porter is that it was potentially John the Baptist. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. the one who was sent before Jesus to uh, point people to him. But mm-hmm. uh, I know we were talking about a different certain person, and I don't know, maybe yeah. it's both. Um, it could be both. Uh, mm-hmm. I, so let's think about it. So the, the listeners, um, if you're thinking about this, Who's the porter? The porter is like the the warden, the guard, mm. He's keeper the, of the door, the keeper of the door. Mm-hmm. Um, so who would that be? That is the keeper of the door. Jesus is the door himself, mm-hmm. and Jesus is the shepherd who calls his sheep by name, and they hear his voice, and he knows them. Mm-hmm. So who is this porter who's not <laughs> the shepherd? That is the one that opens and closes the gate. I think it's none other than the Holy Spirit. I think that's absolutely beautiful. And upon studying myself, I, I agree with you on that. I think it's I think it's a very powerful interpretation. Mm, yeah. He the, the Holy Spirit is the one that's prepares our hearts, you know, opens our hearts to the truth, you know, and then as we hear in, obviously God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are mm-hmm. one God. Mm-hmm. But as they're working in tandem in our hearts. And we start being convicted of righteousness, sin, and judgment. Mm-hmm. We start to we start to hear the voice of God. And we start to mm-hmm. see His goodness. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, our heart becomes softened, just like this blind man who heard His voice said, "Go and wash the mud that I've just put on your eyes." And the guy does it. Molly, who mm-hmm. does that? Who obeys <laughs> a stranger? After a stranger just spit on the ground and put mud in your eyes mm-hmm. and obeys him. Who does that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, Molly, why? Why did the man obey Jesus to do something that is so far, like, outrageous? It doesn't make <laughs> sense. This makes no sense whatsoever to, you know, think about, your, first of all, if, you're, if you got your eyes closed and you're not seeing anything mm-hmm. and someone, you hear them spit— because your ears are in tune, Mm -hmm. and then you hear them swirling the spit around in the ground, making some mud paste, spit paste, and then all of a sudden, someone touches your eyelid with this wet, cold substance. Mm -hmm. I mean, wouldn't your first reaction be to just pull back and put your arms up and to restrain this man from doing this? Yeah, it's it's a very remarkable situation because I'm sure he was probably used to being spat upon. People looked mm. at him probably as scum of the earth because even the disciples were like, who sinned this man or his parents? So mm. he was not favorably looked upon by society. Mm-hmm. And here's this man who spits upon the mud and puts it on his eyes. Like, I don't know. I think initially I might have felt like this deep sense of shame. Like, you know, I don't know why this thing is happening to me. I don't know why... 
this man is doing this. But mm-hmm. obviously there was something about this, whether that was God working in his life or maybe his heart. I, I mean, not maybe, but his heart was already softening. He didn't have a hard heart. He wasn't like pushing the man away. Like you said, resisting. He he listened. And I think that says something about his spiritual condition. Do you, I think I know why. Um, hmm. I, have a, I have a theory. This man has lived under the pretense of shame for so long mm. as well as well as his parents it was a dominant um consideration back then that if you were born with a handicap mm-hmm. either you or your parents had sinned and your disability was the result of their sin jesus tells the disciples in front of this man neither has this man sinned or his parents shame lifted he's now listening that's amazing i think when we're trying to reach people for christ that's one of the first things that we have to um help them to see no matter what they've done no matter what they've been through no matter how terrible they've been how sinful Mm-hmm. One of the things that we've got to help people to realize is that Jesus died for all of that shame, all of that sin, so that we can be clothed with his righteousness because he loves us that much. Mm. He'd rather, according to Michael Card, Jesus would rather die than live without us. I think that's really beautiful in this section here. And the way these stories weave is is lovely. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them mm-hmm. out. So at the, when this man is at his lowest, he calls him by name, leads him out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goes before him and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And that's what he heard first about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yep. And then in closing, let's, um, let's just bring this down. Verse 10 says, Jesus says, the thief. Now picture this. He's talking to the Pharisees and the blind man is there. So you got these two, these two groups of people. You've got the disciples and the blind man who now can see, and you've got the Pharisees and Sadducees and all the leaders on the other side. Jesus is talking to both groups. Mm. The disciples are still, like, astonished. Like, they're the ones that brought the whole thing up in the first place. Who sinned, this man or his parents, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not much better than the Pharisees at at that point. And Jesus says this in verse verse 10. Um, Oh, let me me say verse 9. I am the door— This is the second time Jesus says this. I am the door. By me, if any man enters in, he shall be saved or delivered. He shall go in and out and find pasture. The young man who now can see and was blind has just learned that even though I've been put out of the synagogue, Mm -hmm. Jesus is guaranteeing my safety and preservation. Mm -hmm. This is so cool. Jesus is telling him. You've been put out, now you can come in. I'm the door. I'm the new door of your life. I am your protection. Yes. Yes, you will be delivered. And you will go in and out of this new door and find pasture, and you'll never be cast out. Mm. Next, verse 10. The thief comes. Now he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. The thief comes not but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Can you picture Jesus talking to the two groups? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, 
And the Pharisees are getting more and more irate in the blind man who now can see. I could just see him smiling. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can see him right now, like, kind of putting his arm around Peter, like, I'm one of you guys. I'm in. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. You know, and, and mm-hmm. Peter, James, and John looking at this guy like, hey, we got a new, we got a new disciple here. Verse, uh, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. This is so cool. Again, these two groups listening to this. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. This man who was born blind and now can see, he has learned that he can go in and out and find pasture. He will be delivered. He'll be protected. And not only that, he realizes what a friend he has in Jesus, that Jesus, this good shepherd, is willing to even give his life for him. And it's like, wow. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, now he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees again, whose own <laughs> the sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. And Jesus is talking right to them. And he says again, he goes, they don't care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, says it a second time, and know my sheep, and I am known of mine And the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. Now, Molly, you ready for this? Verse 16. There's going to be others that I'm going to bring in just like you. And he says, and they shall hear my voice. And we shall all be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore, does my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my Father. Now, that's the ending of Jesus' statement. Jesus is informing this young man how much he loves him. He's not, he not only loves him so much, he's going to die for him, and he's protected. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. On the other hand, the Pharisees and Jesus is telling them, listen, Pharisees, you are thieves and robbers, and uh, you, you flee when the going gets tough. You will not protect the sheep. And after these sayings, verse 19, there was a division, therefore again among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he has a devil and is mad. Why do you listen to him? And others said, you ready for this? Mm-hmm. Drum roll on this one, Molly. <laughs> these are not the words of him that has a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? All focus is back on the young man who now can see. And they're looking at Jesus and saying, like, there's no way that this man can be of a devil. Look at the man who just was healed and was, bl- and was blind and now can see. And this is what Jesus does to people who are willing to acknowledge their blindness so that they can now see. Believing, Molly, is truly seeing and I love this, verse 16, and they will hear my voice because I lay down my life for the sheep. Molly, this whole miracle started with the blind man who was told by Jesus to go and wash. He heard Jesus' voice, he obeyed, and then next Jesus asked him a second question that he both now can see and hear, and it was, will you be willing to believe on the Son of God? 
will you be willing to entrust yourself with me no matter what you may lose in this life? Will you trust me entirely? I will be your good shepherd, and I have come that you might have life and that you might have life more abundantly, more than what the synagogue can give you, more than what family can give you, more than what economy can give you. Will you trust me enough to give you the abundant life that I so desire you to have? And those who believe can see. And with that, Miss Molly Mayo, <laughs> I think we'll end this podcast and get ready for our next one in the book of Third John, where we learn oh. to love truth and truth allowing us to love. Let's do it. We'll see you next time. And Fastened Like Nails. God bless. You've been listening to Fastened Like Nails, a presentation of Lamplighter Ministries. Our mission is to make ready a people prepared for the Lord by building Christ-like character one story at a time. To learn more about our family collection of rare books, dramatic audios, or guild programs, visit lamplighter.net. To hear more podcasts, search for Fastened Like Nails wherever you listen to podcasts. You need to see me jump. Charlie is a typical boy Whoa! with a typical sense of humor. <laughs> Ooh, that was great fun. But one day, his grandfather gives him a choice that's anything but typical. I need an heir for my estate. And once I die, you will be the master of Grandfield Place. Follow the adventures of Charlie in Charlie's Choice, the newest drama from the exciting new family radio series, Lamplighter Theater. I'll make them proud, yeah. This'll teach you. <gasps> Here's a whip, Charlie. Run, run. I will grow up to be a strong and good man, just as Mama hoped. These waves will dash us to pieces on the ropes if we let the current carry as much fun. I'll be a hero for them someday. I will. I cannot come with you. My work is here. Don't miss the adventure, the fun, and the drama. Tune in to the next Lamplighter Theater. <laughs>